Welcome to The Writer's Edge, a podcast exploring writing across the disciplines from the arts to the sciences and everything in between. We're coming to you from Shark Tank number two in the NSU Writing and Communication Center on the fourth floor of the Alvin Sherman Library in David, Florida. Hi, I'm Eric Mason, one of the hosts of The Writer's Edge and a faculty coordinator here at the WCC. Today we're talking to the advisor and members of NSU's Insight Student Think Tank, a group committed to bringing humanities perspectives to bear on real world problems. So in the room, I have Haley, Aiden, Chris, and Jared, as well as Dr. Amanda Firase from the Department of Humanities and Politics. So welcome and thank you for talking with us. And can we start by just having you introduce yourselves and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do here at NSU? Yeah, I'll start. So my name is Jared. I am currently a junior here at Nova Southeastern University, majoring in political science with some minors in economics, global engagement, and mathematics. What I focus on a lot is current events, politics, public policy, what's going on, how can we fix it, and try to bring that into our research that we are currently working on. Yeah, my name is Chris. I'm a philosophy major, and I have some minors in economics, history, and legal studies. Um, Next year, I'm going to law school, so sometimes in the paper, I have a bit of a focus on that, and just broader bringing things together. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Aiden. And I'm going to be graduating next month uh, with a degree in biology and a minors in medical humanities and psychology. And so in the paper, looking at plastic pollution, a lot of the stuff that I've been working on is around culture and how we can focus on utilizing culture and education and our understanding of that to improve the situation. Uh, My name is Haley. I'm a senior studying political science with a minor in data analytics. I mainly focus on sustainability and infrastructure and bring in a lot of some of the education components to the paper. And I'll go last, I guess. um, I'm Amanda Furiasse. I'm an an assistant professor in the Department of Humanities and Politics here at NOVA, and I'm also the faculty advisor for the Insight Fellowship. All right, and so obviously we've got a nice mix of perspectives, which I guess is the strength of the humanities. And we invite you here because you are part of this new Insight Student Think Tank, affiliated, I believe, with the NSU Center for Applied Humanities. So can you just take a step back before talking about your project and just for those who may not be familiar with the idea, like what exactly is a think tank and what's the mission of this one? Yeah, I'd love to jump in. I would kind of describe us as a group of researchers who are dedicated to looking at recycling and plastic consumption through an analytical lens and providing some form of advocacy for the issue to help inform public policy and provide advice to decision makers and to educate people in the community. In general, it is a collective group, in this case of students, where you focus on one main aspect and our aspect, it is plastic pollution. And you really try and dig into the research of it, dig into the problems and try and figure out ways to solve them and then push those solutions to whoever is appropriate, whether it be government, business, academia, you then advocate for those policies that you feel would help the situation that you have spent time researching. And had any of you ever even heard of think tanks before? Like, were you familiar with the concept or even specific think tanks? Not that you're following them on Instagram or anything, but did you consider that a part of your academic life before or just your, as a citizen, were you just aware of the work of think tanks before this? I think generally in more of a political sphere, I'm vaguely aware of them and kind of the impact on policy that they try to have. 
Yeah, it's more of a we know what they are politically because we hear about them. We hear that they try and influence things. But when it comes to like actually seeing and realizing what they do or having any experience in it, I don't think really any of us had any direct involvement with one, any direct experience with one or really direct knowledge of it bar the outside. Like we know these things called think tanks exist and they study issues and then advocate for them, both policymakers. And so I don't know if the students would know this, but maybe uh, Dr. Friasse, do you know where the idea for this think tank came from? Yeah, that's a great question. So the think tank is housed within the Center for the Applied Humanities and the director is Dr. Marlisa Santos. And from what I understand, we always kind of had this idea within our department to have a think tank and our department is moving more towards what we call the applied humanities perspective, where we want to look at how the humanities can be applied in real world settings to solve problems that corporations, nonprofits are facing. And then Montecam International offered us the opportunity to create what we had already had in mind for this project and generously provided funding for a think tank. And because Montecam International is a plastics producer, they had the idea of formulating a think tank around waste and opportunity. So that's how this idea of creating a think tank specifically focused on the idea of how to redress plastic waste came about. And I guess those sorts of real world problems, I know you've said online that your group tries to find humanities-based solutions, right, to these real world problems. What sort of conceptual tools or just the value of those humanities perspectives, like how do you convince a business, a company, an industry that the humanities coming in would be a way to solve problems that might seem very technical, might seem very industry specific even? For plastic pollution, a lot of the solutions that people have are focused on the scientific aspect of it. You always hear about researchers looking for bioremediation tools to allow plastic to decompose faster. Researchers working on different kinds of biodegradable plastics. But where the humanities comes in is that you're trying to find solutions that can be implemented in the real world. And although like technological advancement can take you so far, society has to be ready for it. Society has to have a certain kind of attitude to be accepting of new ways of thinking, new ways of conceptualizing plastics, recycling. And it's a really big cultural thing. What beliefs do people have about plastic waste? What beliefs do they have about recycling and sustainability? Do they believe that their contribution really makes a difference? Because that's a huge issue. If someone doesn't believe that anything they do really even matters, then no one's going to do anything. So part of the answer to that comes through education. And then, of course, with the humanities, you have politics. So that ties in very easily because for long lasting change, you do need the political infrastructure for that. Political change would never happen if there isn't the public support for it. Yeah, I definitely agree with all Aiden's point. I think a lot of the humanities have a deep understanding of some of even the historical context that is needed to understand these issues past the surface level and to look deeper into the culture to accurately make policy recommendations that will have long impacts and more longevity opposed to maybe band-aid solutions. But I also think we have a critical awareness of like the global community and how choices that we make here, even on a local level, will affect the national community and, and extending that outwards. Yeah, and to touch on the humanities aspect of it, when you're looking at such a complex issue, 
that's a lot of what people do in humanities classes, taking a complex issue and then breaking it down into different pieces that you can analyze and then make either recommendations or make new insights about. And then specifically on the recycling issue, a big problem is just education. And the humanities is a good tool for helping people connect and understand how important their impacts could be. I'm glad you brought up recycling because I think that's one of those examples of things where sometimes I feel a little hesitant to educate people too much because people might believe that everything they put in their recycle bin gets recycled, but that there's actually the process through which that stuff may or may not be sold. It may not be in demand. And so only a certain percentage of that will actually get recycled. Do you feel any hesitancy about lifting up the hood and showing people how stuff actually works? Is there any possibility you might remove people's motivation to participate in something if it doesn't seem easy enough? Like you said, it's very complex. Does that complexity play into the recommendations you make or the language you use or in any way shape how you communicate information to the public? In my view, whenever you explain something to someone, even if there's negative aspects, learning more and having a fuller perspective helps you engage with it more. So even though there are negative parts, like if you have a bin of recycling and everything in that is recyclable except one pizza box with too much grease on it, the entire bin is trash. And that is really discouraging. Like you go to a recycling bin, you're about to put your bottle in, and then you look in and you see there's a bunch of things that shouldn't be in there. And you know what I'm about to recycle is never going to be recycled. That is really disheartening. But I think you need to know that to know, one, what your impacts are actually doing, and then also to advocate for change. If you don't know what's really happening, how can you advocate for the proper response? Yeah, one of the things we touch on, and we we talk a lot about, it's this fatigue. And we also specifically look at younger people, and we look at how they are fatigued of thinking that this is going to actually do something, and they aren't recycling at the same rates. While they care as much about the environment, and if not more than other demographics, they actually aren't doing as much for it because we have seen that there's no way out. There's no actual solution. It's not actually being solved through recycling, through this. It's just, it's out of sight, out of mind. And so we've been looking to try and make these processes more efficient. And how can we make it so that that doesn't happen? How that one thing that ruins everything doesn't happen? How can we make it so that this isn't the issue. If we educate, if we change the way that we look at and handle recycling, will that affect the turnout, which will then, again, reinforce people's motivation to actually want to do it. And I think the problem we have right now is is people don't want to do it, so there's no change. So we're stuck in this cycle of it's not working, so no one cares, so there's no change, so it keeps not working. And we're looking to try and change it so that we can try and make this process start to work to try and turn this cycle back around. Yeah, I definitely agree with Jared in the sense that it is cyclical in nature. And I think, especially looking at the language we try to include in the paper, especially in like the educational portions of trying to make our recommendations meaningful and impactful in a way that it did shed light on the issue without maybe heightening that sense of discouragement. Because we know it's going to be there, like Chris was touched on, people will feel disheartened that they are contributing, they're doing their best to recycle, and yet they're not seeing changes. But also, I agree that education is going to be one of the biggest tools, especially in these younger generations. And I think that influenced us a lot 
in trying to curate the educational aspects of our recommendations and our workshops to tackle that issue, to shed light without creating more resentment, maybe towards recycling in that way. Yeah, this is actually an example. Uh, I, I think you guys could talk more about this, about in your presentation and in your research, this is a specific area that you guys are looking to redress, specifically the problem of young people are increasingly apathetic, as Jared has said, and others that there's this increasing apathy towards recycling and less and less actually young people are recycling than older people. So older generations tend to recycle more, whereas younger generations are increasingly losing hope and not recycling. And so I think that's largely the result of a breakdown in education because nobody really knows what's going on with recycling. Are things being recycled? Are, are things not? How valuable is a beach cleanup? These are some of the things that the fellows, you guys could speak more about this too, that you've looked at, that actually these things do matter. So something like a beach cleanup makes a tremendous difference actually in terms of global plastic waste and reduction. I think one way where this definitely ties into our paper, we talk about the beach cleanup, but there's also something, it's a theory in psychology that we've tied into our culture section called the theory of planned behavior. And this is cited a lot in environmental policy making discussions and things like that. But basically, the theory of planned behavior kind of lays out the factors that influence an individual to make certain change in their behavior. So these factors include attitude, subjective norms, and perceived behavioral control. And just to explain a little bit about what those are, attitude would be an individual's personal views towards a subject. Subjective norms would be the attitudes that the individual perceives society to have. And then the last one, perceived behavioral control. So all these attitudes and subjective norms are moderated by perceived behavioral control which is what it sounds like. It's how much control that you perceive you have over the situation. So it's, do I believe that by recycling this water bottle, I'm doing something that can actually make a difference? Yeah, I don't know if it builds up any of my ethos here to, to say that I have my metal water bottle right here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of joking, but why don't people do simple things like buy metal water bottles or recycle? The recycling infrastructure is so convoluted and the instructions are so unclear and vary across city to city. A lot of times people really don't know if they're even recycling properly. And by educating people, I think we can allow them to perceive more behavioral control over the situation and also be more informed to be motivated to make those decisions, I guess, if that makes sense. I think it does because you're really highlighting the importance, not just of having a, a system in place where people can recycle or a system in place where people can advocate or participate, but actually have the motivation and feel like they have an impact. So it certainly makes sense that humanities is a good place to have these conversations. Yeah, I don't know if it builds up any of you know my ethos here to, to say that I'm, you know, have my metal water bottle right here. <laughs> yeah. I think a few of you have used the term paper, our paper. And I guess I should ask, what is that deliverable that you're producing that comes at the end of your work? Is it, in your view, like a report, a proposal? Like, what's the shape or format of that paper? Like, what is it intended to do? Basically, our paper is, it's called a white paper. It looks at the specific issue of plastic pollution. And basically, the end goal is to end with a set of policy solutions that we propose 
to, in this case, the company that we were working with, Montechem, to you know, local governments, to, to the school, to whoever it is appropriate to. So we look throughout our paper to build the research and the foundation for why is this a problem? What do we see as the problem? So that we develop the foundation to then go on and say, we've told you what the problem is. We told you why this is the problem. Here's how we say we should fix it. That is what we're delivering. We also will have a presentation to Montecan where we will propose these actual ideas and these policy decisions that are the main focus of the paper, because that is ultimately what the whole paper is building to. I definitely think our paper is intended to walk someone through the beginning to the end. Where did plastics come from? How have they been used historically? How do they connect to culture? And with that all being contextualized, what do we do about it? And then we present these initiatives that are real action-based things that are reasonably achievable and that are real solutions that the community can consider and try to incorporate into their lives in an approachable way. I should also say, too, in addition to the white paper, we'll also be delivering a digital humanities project. So an ArcGIS map that they're currently making that they will present as well. So there's two deliverables, the white paper and then their digital humanities component. And just because you mentioned the word map, I guess I've never really thought about whether Florida is in particular a hub of plastic distribution, production. The company that you're working for, are they based in Florida, in you know, South Florida? I would kind of assume so because they're working with you, but maybe not. Maybe they're, like you said, they're international. Is there a Florida connection at all here? Yeah, so they're based in Florida. I believe their headquarters is in South Florida. Actually, we went to go visit them, and that was very nice. But they are very much a global company. So they have facilities in pretty much every continent doing lots of business around the world. You mentioned a few different audiences for the white paper. And I could see it being schools can do this and companies can do this and individuals can do that. And so you have these specific audience and this more general audience. But I wonder if the problems you're thinking about, do you feel like your solutions are local as well? Are they tied to where we are? Are these solutions you think could be implemented anywhere? Solutions definitely are focused towards, like we talk about them being towards Nova, being towards the day before Lauderdale era, but that's because that's where we are and that's the school we're at. That's, you know, geographically where we are. But one of the things that I think is really good about our policy proposal is that they can be used anywhere really and so one of the good things is because we wanted local solutions that we can implement ourselves instead of huge global ones that we can't really like follow through on but we also didn't want it to just be okay well this can only be done really in Davie or southeast florida we wanted something that can be done that still can be done in other places i think we were able to achieve something that we can do here and actually get done, but it's still something that could be used as a blueprint for other places across the country and really anywhere. Absolutely. I think when we were crafting some of the language that went into we looked to other campuses like American University and said, what are they doing um, in DC about recycling? Even local universities in Miami and seeing what works there and have other universities look to say, hey, Nova's doing this, maybe we can implement the same policies. So it was definitely a borrowing and a collaborative effort of, of looking what's already happening and building upon that and hoping to inspire other universities to continue to build their programs with. So this is one question I feel like it's almost combative and I almost don't want to ask it, but I feel like I should. I'll tell you a little story first. So I do a good amount of service learning in, in my courses. And I recall sending an email to a local nonprofit that I thought that my class could partner with. And what happened is I sent them the email 
and then they forwarded it to someone else in the organization, but they changed the subject line to opportunity for free labor. So they kind of saw me as, oh, hey, this person is going to bring us students who can do free labor for us. And it seemed a little exploitative that they kind of saw us in a certain way. It wasn't an opportunity to collaborate. It wasn't an opportunity to mentor. So they weren't thinking of us as anything but free labor at that point. So my question is about that relationship between academia and the business community. Is there any concern that businesses might use something like an academic think tank, student or otherwise, to kind of greenwash, to say, oh, look, we're doing this good thing over here. At the same time, we're not really changing how we operate back here. How do you ensure that your recommendations or proposals have an impact when you're working with a business over which you don't really have any control over whether or not they actually implement these things? That's a really valid concern. And that's definitely something that we all thought about going into this because classically, when you think of plastic pollution and environmental concerns, most of the time, we're going to be citing corporations as largely responsible for a lot of these issues that we have in society. And in addition, like what you brought up about greenwashing, maybe like trying to promote certain initiatives, not necessarily for the betterment of humanity or the world, but maybe just to make their company look better. I think that is a legitimate concern and it does happen. And although that might be a concern, I really do think that this is a situation where both parties really benefit. We're gaining a lot of experiences and able to push forward recommendations to find a solution that we care about. And we actually discussed this with the CEO when we met with him at the headquarters. We asked him, do you see a kind of conflict of interest between us? You are, after all, you know, a plastic distributor and a major solution to plastic waste may be just reducing the amount of plastic that people buy. But his answer seemed sincere in that even from a business standpoint, controlling plastic pollution is really important to this company, especially Montechem, because he told us that they see plastic waste as an existential threat. It's not just a PR thing. They do care about the environment and working together, we both have something to gain. So one of the good things is, first of all, Montecam and Nova actually have worked together before. Even Montecam and specifically people and professors in the humanities department have actually worked together before. So there is that little bit more of a relationship. This is not the first time Nova has partnered with Montecam. So I think that has also developed some of that trust. Also, like Aiden said, we went to the headquarters and we met with someone named JC. And one of the good things that came out of that meeting was we really got to know him and we really got to know the company better because before they were just the people sponsoring the think tank. We hadn't really met them. We hadn't spoken to anyone from the company. I think uh, Dr. Firiasi had, but the four of us had not. And so what was really good is we did get to find out where he's coming from and he did seem very sincere. And he told us about some of the stuff they were doing, helping the environment, helping against plastic. You know, they clearly were doing that and they have an interest, like Aiden said, because if the damage goes too far, eventually it will fall back on them. So they have an interest to manage the fallout. And the last thing that's been really good is that regardless of their intentions, which as of right now, I, and I think a lot of us believe that, you know, are pretty sincere, but, you know, we still get out of this, the research and the ideas, and that doesn't stop us for future students or future people for the think tank or other places from using these ideas and actually following through with them. That doesn't actually stop because like, what if they just apply to the university? That can be something that can still be done with or without the company itself. 
to add on, Montechem isn't a producer of plastic products. They don't make the bottles or the containers or the packaging or the cling wrap or anything like that. They're literally a distributor of the plastic materials, the, just the straight up pellets. So they buy and sell those pellets and distribute them to manufacturers that make whatever uh, they need to out of that. And the important thing is plastic shouldn't be demonized. Plastic itself is not evil. Plastic has allowed us to do so many things in society. It's so crucial for our everyday technology um, in order to sustain the life that we have today, even to the most basic extent. Plastic is a very valuable resource, but there are, of course, applications of plastic where definitely that is causing harm. A major part of that is single-use plastic. Yeah, and I think the, the really big thing is that Montechem has had no editorial control over what we write or research or end up publishing. So we do have sections or, in fact, our end proposal, the biggest one, is that we need to reduce the usage of plastic. So the metal water bottle is very appreciated, very helpful, even as a small part of just an individual's action. And then also we talk a little bit about the history of recycling and how from the beginning it's been marketed as a cure-all when really it's more of a band-aid solution. The best way to deal with plastic, the optimal solution is just to produce less, to use it where it's absolutely necessary. Like one of the biggest uses of plastic is for medical supplies and packaging, which is incredibly helpful, saves millions of lives. But for packaging for water or for when you buy a burger, less useful. And so you've been talking a lot about the project and working with your business partners, but I'm sort of curious you know, to hear from each of you about what this has meant to you personally. Like, what is it you've gained as a student going through this program? You know, were there things that you know, surprised you or maybe that made you think a little differently, like kind of challenge your own assumptions about things through your research? One of the great things for me personally wanting to go into politics and government is that we actually met with multiple different types of groups, local organizations, and we got info from them and we got what's going on, what's the problem, what do you need help with, you know, what is actually happening here. And so it really let us learn how to work with organizations and groups on the ground and give us that ability. And also, especially for me, like it gave me the chance to look at this idea of public policy and how do we actually, theory is great. We do a lot of this in the humanities. But like Dr. Fioraci said, we're trying to move towards this applied maze. How do we actually apply the theory? Because that's what's really important. It's great to think good, but how do you take that good thought, that good theory, and actually apply it? And that's been one of the great things here is we're actually learning, okay, well, we know all this about plastic. We know the background. We know you know what we're saying the problems are, but how do we make the difference? What can we actually bring to the table at the end? And I think that's been one of the really great things is because that's not really something that's usually thought of when it comes to humanities or the social sciences like philosophy, political science, humanities in general, you know, that's not really thought. It's, oh, oh, it's just thinking. No, it, it can be really actual doing something and bringing change. But the problem is, is that's a different section that you have to learn. And I think that this has really been helpful in giving us experience in that. Yeah, I think for me, the two big things have been, one, working as a group and really incorporating the different viewpoints and strengths and weaknesses that different people have in order to work together to put a project together. And yeah, so usually I've found that for group projects at school, 
it's oftentimes you break it into like three or four parts and then each person takes their own section works independently for a group project that you just slam the pieces together versus this every time a section is finished other people go through add their own in inputs um, tie everything together and really make everything flow and make it a really holistic project and then the second one is just the depth of research that we went into. I think recently I was looking into the differences between burning waste and recycling and how those can be compared. And it's really a new area of research. So going to like the front lines of research and trying to figure out what conclusions we can draw from the limited research was really challenging, but also enriching. Absolutely. I agree uh, with Chris a lot. I think we share a lot of the same takeaways from the internship and the fellowship. I gained a lot of clarity and I think passion for sustainability throughout this last two semesters, so much so that I'm pursuing my graduate education in sustainability after having this experience. But I really do think it sharpened my collaboration skills. And like Chris said, bringing together different people with different styles of research and writing and trying to create something that will serve the same purpose and progress our goals and create meaningful work around recycling and, and plastic consumption. For me, what's unique about it, compared to the other fellows, Jared, Chris, and Haley, who are all majoring in the humanities, I'm graduating with a degree in biology. So most of my classes in college so far have centered around science. And the humanities are just something that are personally important to me, which is why I took on a medical humanities minor. And I am going to medical school next year. And I think that the humanities are, are really important to medicine and often overlooked. And I think that's something that I really want to incorporate into my career, that understanding of culture, history, literature, and art. It's what makes medicine human. And contributing to this project was important to me because it's the first time that I was able to really allow my interest or knowledge of the humanities to fruit into something meaningful, to create something that should be a positive force for change. You know, like that's what the humanities are for. And I think by developing something that is based on our understanding of humanities and politics and, and world events and being able to create something out of that is a very transferable skill. It's really important to, to stand up for issues that are meaningful to you or, or things that are overlooked in society or things that everyone wants to work towards. There's so many issues that I want to be an advocate for. So I would definitely want to carry that forward in the future. I'm glad you are getting the humanities in the room, if you will, as part of those conversations, because I think that's regrettable when the decisions are being made by a smaller you know, cohort, a smaller group that doesn't include those perspectives. I should ask Dr. Fiasse, you know, I know this has been going on, I think, for the last two semesters. Like, is this a program that will continue on, you believe, you know, starting next fall? How would students who are interested in working as part of a group like this find out more about it or are there requirements that people have to have to participate? Yeah, so it will be continuing on. Uh, Montecum International has agreed to go ahead and continue to support the program, to support this think tank. Uh, we're already taking applicants for next year. To be a fellow within this think tank, you have to be a major or minor in the Department of Humanities and Politics. And yeah, so next year's group, what's going to be really great is they are going to implement 
at least one of the recommendations that this year's fellows are making. So I think that'll be really interesting. So over the course of the next few years, hopefully we'll get to see how these recommendations get implemented and their impacts on both the campus and community long-term. So if people are interested in getting involved or potentially applying to the Insight Fellowship, you can Google this NSU Center for the Applied Humanities, and it has all the details about the Insight Fellowship on that website. And I should say that they will be presenting the project and it's open to anyone on campus who wants to attend on April 20th, Thursday at 5 p.m. in the library. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked that you kind of want to make sure people understand about the process, about think tanks, about plastics, even things that you just want to not leave unsaid? Yeah, if I had to summarize the project really quickly, or at least the end results, it's reduce, reuse, recycle, and in that order. So reducing is the most important. And then at the end of the day, whatever's left, it's really important to recycle. And then afterwards comes the beach cleanups and things like that. Prioritize a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. don't just do the one thing, but kind of think how you can do all yeah. three of them. Yeah. You definitely have to come at it from multiple angles. That's been one of the, that's probably the biggest thing that we can say is that we had to look at it from multiple angles. You have to solve the problem through multiple angles. They're all interconnected. Doing it one way will not be a, a fix. Doing it one way will help maybe, but it, it will never solve the problem. And so I think that's really the biggest takeaway is we really have to take on the problem, but we have to take on the problem from every side as a society, through government, through business. We have to really be able to look at it and focus in on it. Yeah, just one final thing. I agree with everyone. It's multifaceted um, in the complexity of the issue. Um, and I think it'll take many great minds to solve. And I think that's something that everyone has to be open to, that there's still a lot of work ahead of this, you know, fellowship that will be done in the future. And I think we've made a lot of great progress into setting the groundwork for the next group of students to flourish and implement some of these recommendations. I think everyone else summed it up pretty well. The end goal is we're not saying that this is the most that we can do, but I think we need to get the ball rolling, at least in our local community. And we feel like this is something that we can make an impact in, at least at Nova Southeastern University or and Davey. I think that's the goal, and I think that's what we're trying to do here. Excellent. And Dr. Fiorasi, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think just in general that it's been really great, the opportunity to see students doing independent research and collaborate with one another. I think those are just so um, important and consequential for students. And sometimes we take for granted that just how little, you know, working collaboratively together in a team to work on a paper can be so helpful for me as, as a faculty member, as a teacher, to see that. Because I've just been the advisor on this project and just been kind of providing help, providing opportunities where I can. And really, the fellows, all four fellows have really done such great work and everything, it's all them. They've just been doing such great work. So it's, it's really fabulous to see it all come together. All right. Well, Haley, Aiden, Jared, and Chris, thank you so much for coming in. It sounds like such an interesting project, just an interesting way to tackle these problems and make sure humanities is part of this conversation. So thank you for being here. And I look forward to hearing more about your recommendations in white paper. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. We thank you all for tuning in to this episode of The Writer's Edge, and we hope you tune in next time. You can submit your own podcast to be featured on ours. And you can even submit your own stories about the Writing Center or any questions that you may have. If you'd like more information about the Writing Center itself, 
visit our website at nova.edu forward slash WCC. You can also reach out to us at WCC at nova.edu or 954-262-4644. Thank you again for tuning into the Writer's Edge, and we'll be back on your airwaves real soon. Mm-hmm.